Okay, so you can be opening up your Bibles to Luke chapter 11, and uh, we'll be continuing in our study on prayer. And before we get, I just want to let you know that uh, this way I got on Amazon Friday and I ordered a chicken and an egg. And uh, next week I'll let you know which comes first. <laughs> eh, that's not so great. I got to stop this stuff. All right. <clears throat> I'll be, be opening up to Luke chapter 11, and uh, we'll be talking about prayers. We're continuing our study. Uh, as we've studied the last few weeks, of course, we have looked at several things dealing with prayer, right? The purpose, obviously. What, what, why do we pray? We looked at that. We've, we've talked about the power that is in prayer and what that can do for us. There are great things that prayer provides for us, and sometimes we forget that. We don't take advantage of it properly, right? Then that great privilege of prayer. We talked about the fact that not everybody has that privilege. We can look at the scripture and see that, that there's only certain few. We as Christians who are faithful, who are living a life in the, you know, according to the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, not according to the flesh, we have a great privilege to be able to go right into the throne room before the creator of the universe and speak to him, ask things of him, praise him, thank him. And, of course, that's all because of our mediator, Jesus Christ, the blood was shed for us, making us pure. Talked about the principles of prayer, the things that we should be praying for, about, the, the way we should be going about it, right? And then last week we talked about that great persistence we should have with prayer, praying without ceasing, right? Never stopping, continuing on and on, and how we shouldn't let things get in the way of that, right? We should have a plan. We're going to continue to talk about that a little bit more today as we discuss some things and I want to encourage us hopefully if nothing else you've learned or you've taken from this study is that uh, you need to increase your prayer life and why not why not be doing it we've talked about all the blessings that we can receive from it you know we shouldn't be letting things get in the way we should be focused on that that should be something that is primary on our mind focus a, a focus that we should have when we wake up and when we go to bed at night, every day, all day, 24-7. So hopefully we can learn from this to pray more fervently, pray more with consistency, and to benefit from all the things that prayer has to offer. Uh, to encourage us to do that, though, we're going to look at a couple things. In the next couple weeks, we'll look on, on, on some, and answer some questions here a little bit. Like, for instance, how should we pray? And when should we pray? And with whom should we pray? And for what should we pray? And you might be saying, well, yeah, I, I know those things. That, you know, that makes sense. Well, I want to really get into that a little bit and kind of make sure we understand what we're doing when we're praying, how, how we're doing it, why we're doing it, who we're doing it with, and how it should be done. First of all, let's look over in chapter, Luke chapter 11, and let's just read a few verses there to see kind of well, see what the answer is really about how we should pray. We read this last week, but we're going to read it again. Beginning in verse 1, it said, Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So here we have Jesus and his disciples. Jesus is praying. The disciples are watching him do this. And then they ask, teach us how to pray. Teach us what to do. And then he said to him in verse 2, when you pray, say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So here we have an example. The Lord gives his disciples an example of how to pray, right? This is a model. They knew that John's followers, John the Baptist, had taught his disciples how to pray. And they, and they were Jews, so they, they prayed. That was part of their lives. But when they saw Jesus praying, there was something about it. I don't, know, I don't necessarily know what it was. I don't know if it was uh, the persistence, perhaps, the, uh, the humility, maybe, that he showed. But they, they wanted him to teach them how to pray. There was something he, they saw in the way he was praying that they wanted, that they felt like they did not have. And so this is Jesus giving them a model, giving them an idea of how to pray. And he gives them this, these few lines, not many. And, of course, it's not something that you could spend all night praying about, right, as he had done. But it's something that he gives them in an idea. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. In response, and this is commonly called, obviously, the Lord's Prayer. We also find it in Matthew 6, uh, verses 9 through 13, and we'll look at that in a minute. But I want you to notice, it was not intended to be something to just spout off, okay? It was a model, a model prayer to show the disciples how to pray, some things they were to do in their prayers. But it wasn't meant to be, that's what you say every time you pray, right? How many of you guys, or ladies, played ball in high school or college or whatever? And what did you do before every game? You got in a huddle and you prayed the Lord's Prayer, maybe. I did. We did. Yeah. You just spouted it off. Probably didn't really even think about it. It was just something you did, like the Pledge of Allegiance every day, right? Or something like that. And it became perhaps more of a liturgical exercise than anything, right? Not so much heartfelt. You get ready to play a ball game, right? You got other things on your mind. It's not so much you're, you're worried so much about praying to God at that moment, right? And that's not the idea here. This prayer was not meant to be something we just recite as, ver as a, as a uh, like, like the Pledge of Allegiance or whatever. But it was a model. It gives us an example of the way we're supposed to pray. Now, I'm not, don't get me wrong. Nothing wrong with reciting the Lord's Prayer. Don't think I'm telling you don't do it. But... It's not, it was not something that was written for us just to simply recite. It was a model. The proper prayer. Let's turn over to Matthew 6 and see how it's, how it's worded there. Matthew 6, uh, beginning in verse 9 there. <clears throat> Again, uh, let's actually go back to verse 8 because he's referring to those who prayed a certain way. Um, he says, therefore, not be, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. So it's a little bit different take on that, right? It's not so much they're asking him how to pray, but he's saying don't be like those who do it for show. And in fact, reciting the Lord's Prayer could kind of be that way, right? Yeah. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, for we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And then he goes on to say, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. 
he quotes this model prayer in a different little context, a little bit different context, right? Not so much because they've asked him to pray, but now he's telling them, do this uh, for your father. Pray for those who have sinned against you. Pray and forgive them, just as if I should go asking the Father to forgive you. Don't do it in public for show. Different concept, different context, right? But what's he do here? In the first verse, of course, he addresses God the Father, our Father in heaven. And I think that's the way we should look at it, right? That's the way we should address talking to our God, our Father in heaven, with that great reverence, hallowed, hallowed be your name, right? How great is your name? Praising him, honoring him for who he is, that he has created us and loved us so much that he would die for us. That should require, that should bring out great reverence in you, great uh, praise from your heart, right? And then in verse 10, God's prayer, he says, uh, including like with supplication, right? The supplication part of it, he's praying for your kingdom to come and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? talking about God's purposes, his will to be done. Of course, the kingdom come, and in my belief, I believe the kingdom has come, right? We've studied this, right? We've talked about how on Pentecost the church was established, the kingdom came, God, Christ talked about this many times, the kingdom is at hand, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We had many, many discussions on this. We talked about how Christ rose into heaven and is sitting at the right hand of God, reigning in this kingdom now. So perhaps that part of the prayer would be a little bit different. We're not going to necessarily pray that his kingdom come. Someone who believes in uh, premillennialism would say the kingdom has not come, and so that would be part of their prayer. But it would kind of be weird for Jesus to say that kingdom come when he's talking about himself, right? Seems kind of odd. But anyways, that's another study for another time. But the last part of that, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what the prayer ultimately should be about. I can talk to my God, my Father, and ask him things and tell him I am in agony, just as Jesus did in the garden, right? I have problems. I want to lay them on you. Please help with that. But ultimately, in the end, it's not about what you want. It's his will that has to be done. So that's a good, a good example, a good model for us, right? A good example of how we should understand that uh, that, that God's will needs to be done, that we should be humble, that we should be thankful that he is in control, right? Because, man, the way the world is today, I'm glad he is. I want him to be, right? I can't control it, and if he's not in control, we're in big trouble, right? Interesting. What else does he refer to there? Our, of course, our physical needs. Give us this day our daily bread. Thank you, Lord, for providing for us. For providing food for our sustenance, clothing for our shelter that we have, thankful for providing the rain so we can have food for rain for our for the vegetation to grow and so forth. Thankful for the way you sustain us in this life, right? We should be thankful for that. We should ask him to continue to do that. There's nothing wrong with going before him and says, "I am in need. I need your help. I need. We, we're we're starving here. We're we're having. Tr I'm having trouble financially." I'm having trouble providing for my family. Please help. What can I do? What can you do to help me? Please, God. There's nothing wrong with that, right? Our spiritual needs and forgive us our debts. Oh, man. Do we need to have our debts forgiven, right? We need to have our sins forgiven. We need to be 
reconciled to him so we continue to have that relationship with him and continually be humble enough to confess our shortcomings, confess our sins to him. And that's not something that should be just put aside. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm a good person, you know, I, I, I'm pretty good. I, I'm not really sinning. It's not about that. It's about that humility, right? It's about that willingness to say, I'm not worthy. What you have done for me is tremendous, and I cannot, I, there's nothing I can do. Nothing I can do to save myself. Nothing I can do to accept, just accept your gift. Accept what you've done for me. And then obey and serve, right? That's all part of that. Forgive us our debts. Not only us, but the spiritual needs of others, right? We just read it there in Matthew 6. If you're not going to forgive your brother, how's God going to forgive you? Right? We need to be thinking about each other. Not just ourselves. But forgive those who might have sinned against us. Forgive those who have wronged us. Has anybody ever wronged you? Yeah, pretty much everybody in here has had somebody wrong you, right? Did you forgive them? Was it easy to forgive them? That's what we're talking about here. If you're going to be in prayer, and this is the model, you need to be willing to forgive. If not, how can you expect him to forgive you? That's part of that humility, right? Spiritual needs of others. Then, of course, guidance and help in our daily lives and our struggle against Satan, our struggle against evil, our struggle against temptation. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's an interesting, concept. That's an interesting uh, line from the model prayer, right? Lead us not into temptation, as if God would, would tempt you, right? kind of sounds like that, but what he's really getting at is keep us safe from the one who wants to tempt us. You remember Christ was tempted three times in the, by whom? Satan, right? And he was able to resist each and every time. Lead us not into temptation. We have an out. We can resist temptation. I oh, say, I can't. I'm struggling so hard. I can't get out of it. Yes, you can. How do you do it? First, get on your knees. That's how it starts, right there. You can resist anything through prayer. Great line, great line, right? Great verse. Something we should keep in mind when we're dealing, when we're praying, when we're trying to uh, be in relationship with the Father. <coughs> a couple things that Jesus really stresses through this model prayer, right? I want to turn back, if you're not in Matthew 6, go back to Matthew 6. And let me go back to uh, verse 7. Something else he says there. He says, actually, let me just go back to verse 5, because I want to start. That's where we need to start with that anyways. He says, and when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Don't do it. Don't just do it for show. If you're anywhere, go in your closet. Go in your bathroom. In your basement. Surely I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetition as the heathens do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Yeah. It should be simple. There's no need to talk forever and ever and ever. 
right? Going over and over and over. God knows what you need before you pray. That's scriptural. I've been in a worship service where someone they decided they wanted to pray for a long time. There's the old joke when I was in college. It would never happen to me, but in Bible class, someone would pray each class, and it was the guy's turn that forgot to study on his final, so he prayed for the whole hour so they didn't have to take the final. That he talk about vain repetition, right? But that's what he's saying. You see, it comes, to be, it comes down to being humble. It comes down to having a relationship, praying with faith from your heart, not just quoting stuff over and over and over. Now, let me make this clear. doesn't mean you can't pray for the same thing when you pray. There's nothing wrong with that. And you need to be praying without ceasing for things. We just studied a couple weeks ago about the persistent widow, right, who kept complaining over and over and over. And the idea from that parable is that's what God wants you to do. Pray without ceasing. Continually pray. And there's nothing wrong with praying for things over and over and over. But when we're doing it just to get the thing over with, just to pray, not heartfelt, not understanding that relationship we have with him with that humility, that's not good. And especially when we're doing it just to show how great we are, how good we can pray, how great we are in our relationship with the Father. should be simple. What else? Well, <clears throat> it should be something that we're doing out of our understanding of our forgiveness. We talk, just talk about that. Matthew uh, 14, I read it. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. If you don't have that attitude, I don't think your prayer is going to be heard. It's definitely going to be hindered. And of course, turn over to Luke chapter 11, and let's read about that persistence thing again. Luke chapter 11, beginning of verse 5. <clears throat> and he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend? And go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, let me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey. And I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, <clears throat> Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened for you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks, it will be opened. Now that's talking about persistence. But let me ask you something. When you pray, do you believe when you ask you're going to receive? Or do you just ask? I mean, think about it. Do, do you really think just because you seek something you're going to find it? Do you really think just because you knock at the door it's going to be opened? You see, there, there's something there that requires a little faith, doesn't it? Yeah, the verse is simple. It's easy to say that, but do we really believe it enough to pray about it, to seek, 
to ask. Remember when you were in school? Teacher's teaching something. You don't get it. I just don't get it. It's over my head. Right? But I don't want to ask. I don't want to sound like I'm stupid. Right? I don't want to sound like I'm dumb. I'm not going to ask. Maybe you went home and, I don't know, asked mom and dad or something. I don't know. That's kind of what I'm getting at here. You should never be, uh, you should never feel like you can't go to the Father. You should never feel too dumb, I guess. I can't think of a better word. You should never be so out of it that you cannot ask your Father for something and expect an answer. Be bold about it. With humility, but be bold about it. That's what he's getting at here. Ask, seek, knock. And you're going to get something out of it. You're going to get an answer. may not be exactly what you want, but you're going to get something back. Memorizing the Lord's Prayer is, is good. I can pretty much spout it off by heart. I've done it you know, all my life. I imagine most of you can do that too. Nothing wrong with that. But we need to keep in mind this is a model. And if nothing else, we should get out of it that we should do this every day. Right? And this gives us an idea of how to do it. Going along with that, we ask then, well, okay, if I should do it every day, when do I do it every day? Should I schedule something? Should I set aside time? What should I do with that, right? Having a set time to pray can help develop a habit. What's the term? I can't remember. Is it to make something, to change a habit, you have to continue to do something? Somebody's got to know that, right? Every, like, 14 days or something? I don't know. Three months? Okay, I was a little short. Okay. Yeah. If nothing else, set a time, make sure it happens, and after months, few months, three months, whatever, it's going to become part of your life. It's just like anything else that you make a habit of. All right? can be done. Let's look at a couple examples of that. Turn over to Psalm chapter 55. Let's read some things that David had to say about talking when he was talking to God. Uh, Psalm 55. And let's see. Let's begin in verse 8. It says, I would hasten my escape from the windy storm and tempest. Destroy, O Lord, and divide their tongues, for I have seen violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls. Iniquity and trouble are also in the midst of it. Destruction is in its midst. Oppression and deceit do not depart from its streets. For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could hear it. Nor is it one who hates me who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide it from him. But it was you, a man Michael, my companion and my acquaintance, who took we took we took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in the throng. Let death death seize them, let them go down alive into hell, for wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. As for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and at noon I will pray and cry aloud, and he shall hear my voice. He has redeemed my soul in peace from the battle that was against me, for there were many against me. God will hear and afflict them. 
even he who abides from of old. There's some confidence right there in those verses, right? Praying evening, morning, and noon. What does he say? Prayer's going to be answered. God's going to hear it. He's going to afflict them, even those who buy from old. There's a lot of confidence there, right? Because he's praying every day, morning, noon, and night. Something he does consistently, with persistence, no matter what is going on in his life. And he knows God will prevail. God's going to provide. Turn over to Daniel. Let's look at something there. Daniel chapter 6. And you know the story, but I love to read it. <laughs> it's such a captivating, it's such, it just illuminates it for you, right? Daniel chapter 6, verse 1. <clears throat> Remember, Dan, Darius the king loves Daniel. Daniel is high up in the court. He is well loved by the king, but he is an Israelite, all right? And he, there's some folks that decide to plot against him. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 6, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps, to be over the whole kingdom, and over these three governors, of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps might give account to them so that the king would suffer no loss. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the governors and satraps sought to um, get women. Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful. Nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any charge against Daniel, this Daniel, unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. He was so squeaky clean that they decided they had to figure out another way to get him. Couldn't get him. So these governors and satraps strong before the king, and thus to him, said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. Yeah, they're buttering him up. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and satraps, the counselors and advisors, have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. Now, you'd think King Darius would have Use a little common sense here, maybe. Thought, why are these guys wanting this? Where, where's this coming from? You would think he would have thought of that. But no, being a king, probably was uh, puffed up a little bit because of that. Why does he need to think that? These guys are helping him out here. That's a good idea. So verse 9, therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Verse 10. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Wow. 
You talk about courage. Here we got Darius, the son of this decree, not even thinking about what he's done, and it's going to come back to haunt him. Here we have Daniel, who has been in the practice of prayer daily, morning, noon, and night, three times a day, on his knees, facing toward Jerusalem, because he's in captivity. Nothing's going to change on his part, because his relationship with the Father is greater than anything on earth. think he practiced it yeah you think he had a plan yeah he knew his God was greater than anything and of course from Daniel chapter 10 we can also read the angel that comes down remember and what's he say to him Daniel you are greatly beloved yes ma'am That's a good point. He was left out, wasn't he? Yeah. They were they were uh, conniving. They were, yeah, they were trying to get him. Yeah. He wasn't part of it. That's right. Well, or if he was, he wouldn't. You would, that didn't make any sense, right? That he would have been part of it. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's a good point. Daniel was greatly beloved. Why? Because he set his mind on things above. And did you notice back there in that verse? Hmm, let's go back and look at it. Verse 3, then Dan, this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and patriots because an excellent spirit was in him. Now there's great discussion about what that means exactly. We understand the New Testament, the Holy Spirit was given at Pentecost, right? But we also read some things in the Old Testament where there's a spirit in some of the great men we read about. David had the spirit. Is this the Holy Spirit we're talking about? Well, that's debatable, I guess. Not sure about that. But it's interesting how that verse is worded, isn't it? Whether that's his spirit, he just has a great spirit. Whether that's the Holy Spirit at work in him. But one thing he's doing is he's walking in it, right? Just like Paul referred to those who are in the churches of Galatia. Walking in the spirit, not in the flesh. You remember a few chapters before? When he was put amongst the other servants, and they were, uh, he said, uh, I should have gone back and read it, but he, he didn't drink the wine and the stuff for several days and how they were different than the other servants in the court because of that. He had his mind set on God, foremost above everything else. Therefore, pray, prayer was just part of his life. It was just something he was going to do. Didn't matter what happened to him. Didn't matter what kind of decrees. Didn't matter who said what, what was done to him, whether anything happened. He was going to pray on his knees three times each day. So they made it a habit to pray at set times during the day. Probably be a good idea if they did that, that maybe we should be doing that too. You ever think about that? Do you ever think about the fact that these guys were great in God's eyes because of their relationship and the fact that they prayed, had a relationship with him. If that's the case, shouldn't we? What other kind of prayers can we have? Well, of course, it doesn't have to be a set time. Turn over back over to Luke chapter 6. Luke 
And let's read what the Lord did there. Chapter 6 and verse 12. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose twelve whom he also named apostles. Here's an example of Jesus praying. Don't think that was necessarily something he planned ahead of time, or maybe he did, I don't know, but not something he did every night, obviously, but something he decided to do, he needed to do, he had to do, because he was about to pick the disciples, the apostles, right? He was about to name them. So he had to be in prayer about it all night long, forsaking sleep, probably forsaking food, all those things, because this is such a great thing that was about to be done. Prayer all night. Paul and Silas, example, they did it. If you want to follow me on this, go over to Acts chapter 16. Let's see what they were doing. Acts chapter 16, verse 25. <clears throat> this is in Philippi. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do not do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Here we have Paul and Silas in prison. What are they doing in the middle of the night? They're praying and singing hymns. They could have been in despair. They could have been saying, Woe is me, woe is us, right? But no, they know their father is greater than any jail. They know their father is greater than anything that can happen to them on earth. Turn over to Nehemiah. This is an interesting example here. And let's read something here. Nehemiah chapter 2. Let's see what happens here. And it came to pass, in, the, in verse 1, it came to pass in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, that I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had never been sad in his presence before. Therefore the king said to me, Why is your face sad since you are not sick? This is nothing but sorrow of the heart. So I became dreadfully afraid and said to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies waste and its gates are burned with fire? Then the king said, What do you request? And notice what happens here. He says, So I prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Interesting verse there by Nehemiah. He, he says, I prayed to the father. Wait a minute, isn't he talking to the king? He's in discussion with the king. Did he just stop in the middle of that and have a prayer? Or did he kind of pray silently? Most scholars would say that's what happened. It, can't tell that for sure, but it's an interesting verse, isn't it? Nehemiah prayed before he made his request. 
whether it was silent, whether he just sat right there in front of the king and prayed real quick. I don't know. But it was spontaneous, and he felt the need. And that's something we may need to do sometimes. If we're in the middle of something, we might need to stop and just pray, even if it's just something silent. Taking a moment. Nothing wrong with that. Go to 1 Chronicles with chapter 5. Let's read one more example. <clears throat> 1 Chronicles chapter 5, and uh, beginning of verse 18. The sons of Reuben, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh had 44,760 valiant men, men able to bear shield and sword, to shoot with a bow, and skillful in war, who went to war. They made war with the Hagrites, Jeter, Nephish, and Nodab. And they were helped against them. And the Hagrites were delivered into their hand, and all who were with them, for they cried out to God in the battle. He heeded their prayer, because they put their trust in him. Again, another example. Now, not that we're going to be in war, and we need to pray in the middle of a war, but we have things where we may need to pray right then and there. Nothing wrong with that. Spontaneous prayer. So, praying at set times, praying spontaneously. Have you ever been driving down the road and said a prayer? <laughs> Maybe it was because you were sitting in traffic and you weren't going to get to work on time. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. And that's what we're talking about here. Your prayer life should be so robust that it don't matter where you are, when it is, what time it is, you can go to the Father in prayer and have great faith that he's going to hear it. And of course, 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Having scheduled times to pray will help develop that experience if you're not doing it. It will help develop that habit if you're not doing so. Praying spontaneously will help you to develop the, the, the need, the, the ability to pray anytime, right? And pray well with great faith. Point is, all these things point to praying without ceasing. We should be in the practice of prayer. We know how to do it. We need to practice it. And we need to do it at any given moment because we have been doing it in the past. That's part of that relationship. Next week, we'll look at how to pray or with whom to pray, whether we should be doing it alone or whether we should be doing it with others, and how to pray. Uh, yeah, so we'll be talking about that next week in the practice of prayer. Nothing else, as I've said, I hope this helped you in your prayer life. I hope this has helped you to understand that you need to make a practice, make a habit of it. And if you're not doing that, do it today. Start now. As good a time as any. All right. Time is up. Thanks for being with us.